0: Hi everyone, it's Andy Robbins with Metagenics, and we're gonna be talking about Grace Under Pressure today, a functional approach to managing conditions related to chronic stress. And we're gonna be doing this in segments, so I'll bite off about a 10 or 15 minute chunk out of what is probably a 60 or 90 minute class. Uh, So we'll do this in several sessions here. But uh, let me go ahead and begin this session by just giving you the premise of uh, this whole class in its entirety. The the first point here under the premise is that adrenal stress underlies many chronic diseases and disorders. And so therefore, adrenal fatigue is related not only to chronic stress, but also to deficiencies in the basic nutrients that fuel the adrenals, and not just the adrenals, but the whole HPAT axis, hypothalamus, pituitary, adrenal, and thyroid axis, all of those need nutrients for optimum function. So therefore, disorders related to adrenal fatigue can be managed by not only controlling the stress, if that's possible, but also with the use of specific micronutrient and botanical interventions that we'll talk about in detail. But first, before we go there, let's talk about the extent of stress in our culture. And some of these uh, statistics come from stress.org. 77% of people regularly experience physical symptoms related to stress and 73% regularly experience uh, psychological symptoms related to stress. And get this, between 75 and 90% of all visits to primary care physicians are for stress-related complaints or disorders. So chances are, The people that are coming in and out your door every single day, even if you're, let's say, a chiropractor, let's say, and you're seeing uh, musculoskeletal issues, chances are a lot of what you're seeing, maybe not all, of course, but chances are a good percentage of what you're seeing is related in some way to stress. So some of those conditions that stress has been linked to, in fact, uh, the leading causes of death that stress has been linked to is cardiovascular disease, cancer, even lung ailments, if you can believe that, accidents, cirrhosis, and suicide, to name just a few. Now, so so. Uh, significant and uh, profound is this problem that it's made the cover of many different publications now time magazine did a story a few years ago a cover story on stress see, seeking cures for modern anxieties they also did another one on understanding anxiety how we are worrying ourselves as sick and then also Newsweek did one on the sad planet depression has become a global disease they say breathing new life into talk therapy Well, it's true that we've become a a society of broken people and dysfunctional families and thus dysfunctional lives, and that has resulted in a number of stress-related problems that uh, we have some more statistics on here for you. 40 million adults suffer from chronic anxiety, according to the National Institutes of Mental Health, and 1 in 12 adults suffer from frequent bouts of depression And 16 million American adults have major depressive disorder, according to the CDC, or what's been called MDD, major depressive disorder. Sadly, there are 123 suicides in America every single day, according to the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. And that translates to about 45,000 people a year. Now, I was born and raised in Columbus, Indiana, which is about that many people, 45,000 people. So just imagine the population of Columbus, Indiana being wiped out every single year by suicide, by nothing but suicide. That's just staggering to me that that many people um, are losing their lives every single year in this country due to suicide. So we have a very big problem on our hands. Suicide is the third leading cause of death among ages 15 to 24, according to cchealth.org. So there's trouble in paradise, folks, and uh, we could go on and on about why this is occurring. There's a number of different things I think are contributing to this. But the bottom line is we have some serious, serious problems that are leading to psychological, mental, emotional, and certainly physical uh, issues with your patients. Time Magazine reported that in a 2017 survey, only 33% of Americans said they were happy. And of course, uh, feelings of depression, and unhappiness lead to, again, stress. It's a vicious cycle, okay? Now, let's talk just for a moment about the three stages of stress, and this is uh, all in accordance with uh, Hans Selye's uh, general adaptation Theory or syndrome, and uh, he stated that the three uh, uh, stages of stress are arousal, adaptation, and then exhaustion. Now, there has to be some degree of stress in our lives, right? I mean, uh, without stress, Cellier said there would be no life. We have to have some degree of stress in order to motivate us to get up in the morning and go to work and do the things that we need to do. So, some stress is helpful, but the problem is when arousal Um, morphs into adaptation, and adaptation morphs into exhaustion when we have this problem where it's ongoing and heavy stress that we begin to experience um, problems characterized by sustained increased levels of corticosteroids and alarm molecules, and that leads to altered glucose tolerance, blood pressure issues, thyroid and hormone Uh, thyroid hormone and sex, hormone metabolism, and then eventually exhaustion, uh, which is characterized by degenerative diseases and the adverse influence of corticosteroids and alarm molecules. So then stress is not just an adrenal problem. So it involves the entire hypothalamic, pituitary, adrenal, and thyroid axis. That whole axis can become imbalanced. And when it does, When a person can't stop stressing, there's a whole host of different maladies and dysfunctions that occur as a result of that, as you see there on the screen, with that very, very long list from uh, the list there under hypoactivation and the even longer list under hyperactivation. So when someone can't stop stressing, stress literally affects every single organ system in the body there's not a single organ system in the body that's not affected negatively by increased and heavy stress so it's a it's a horrible situation to be in uh, when somebody's under heavy stress for an extended period of time now Several years ago, there was a very interesting book by Dr. Robert Sapolsky called Why Zebras Don't Get Sick, an updated guide to stress, stress stress-related diseases and coping. Now, the reason that uh, he chose this title and this imagery of zebras not getting sick is because in the animal kingdom, um, zebras, when they're under acute stress, like, for example, when there's a predator, like a lion that is chasing the the herd. Well, after the lion is outrun or kills one of the group, then the zebras and all of the other animals, for that matter, go immediately back into their baseline autonomic state and out of the sympathetic dominant state. So their stress in the animal kingdom is acute and short lived, and then they go back into their somewhat relaxed state and they're fine again. Well, compare that to what's happening in the human population, in in our culture, especially in Western cultures, and uh, it's a stark difference because we spend a lot of our time in the sympathetic dominant state, so the basis for human stress-related disease is the high percentage of time spent in that sympathetic dominant state, so it's a very interesting book there by uh, Dr. Sapolsky that you might wanna pick up if you wanna learn more uh, from his perspective, Why Zebras Don't Get Sick. Uh, great book, uh, uh, recommend that you check it out. Now, some contributing factors, and let's talk about that for just a moment to the heavy cost of stress. Well, in a Massachusetts study, the best predictor for a heart attack was, believe it or not, not hypertension, cholesterol, or smoking, but, Job dissatisfaction. They showed that workers with a high-strain job have a significantly higher death rate from all causes. In fact, heart attacks in Western countries come at the highest frequency, get this, on Monday mornings between 8 and 9 a.m. That's pretty telling, isn't it? (laughs) So uh, uh, job dissatisfaction is huge when it comes to the strain that that puts on the body. So being able to enjoy your job is really a blessing. Stress also impacts inflammation. In this study, uh, published in Health Psychology, they showed that chronic stress impaired the immune system's response to anti-inflammatory signals. So they showed that the immune system's capacity to respond to hormonal signals that terminate inflammation was affected and diminished by the stress, okay? Um, here's one on work stress and risk of cardiovascular mortality, where they showed that people who reported persistent stress due to high work demands, low job security, or few career opportunities had the same level of risk for fatal heart attacks as people who smoke and do not exercise. Wow. I just want to read that again. That's, that's amazing. People who reported persistent stress, due to high work demands, low job security, or few career opportunities, had the same level of risk for fatal heart attacks as people who smoke and who do not exercise. They went on to say that employees with high job strain, a combination of high demands at work, and low job control, had a 2.2-fold cardiovascular mortality risk, Compared with their colleagues with low job strain. So, the conclusion then of the article was that high job strain and effort reward imbalance seem to increase the risk of cardiovascular mortality. So, then the evidence from industrial employees suggests that attention should indeed be paid to the prevention of work stress as much as possible, at least um, heavy stress. Stress also contributes to high homocysteine, so another impact on cardiovascular health. They showed in uh, this study that significant elevations in plasma homocysteine during acute psychological stress uh, with a return to baseline concentrations during recovery. So when there was acute stress, homocysteine went up. Uh, And when the stress went back down to baseline levels, homocysteine went back down. So there seems to be a very, very close relationship there. So when people spend a lot of time in that sympathetic dominant state, just a lot of time under heavy stress, their homocysteine is staying high and uh, contributing to cardiovascular disease over time. How about this one? Stress and breast cancer. This is amazing. So uh, the authors here in this study, which was published in the American Journal of uh, Epidemiology, the authors prospectively investigated the relation between stressful life events and the risk of breast cancer among 10,000 women from the Finnish twin cohort. Now, look at this. They showed that divorce or separation, along with the death of a husband, were all associated with the risk of increased or an increased risk of breast cancer, I should say. They were all associated with the increased risk of breast cancer. So the conclusion was that the findings suggest a role for life events in breast cancer etiology through hormonal or other mechanisms. How about stress and depression? Let's look at that for just a moment. There is a certainly a direct effect here uh, as reported in psychology today in uh, Dr. Alice Boy's article, Why Stress Turns into Depression. And uh, stress has a direct effect on mood, and early initial symptoms of lowered mood can include irritability, sleep disruption, and cognitive changes, such as impaired concentration. Here's the indirect effects. Stress disrupts healthy coping strategies, and unhealthy coping strategies, in turn, lead to the use of things like alcohol and drug abuse. And uh, also low mood symptoms generate further stress, which disrupts relationships and results in disrupted routines and structure. And there's a feed-forward cycle, there's a a vicious cycle that takes place, a snowball effect where this all just um, snowballs over time. Okay, and let's look at this one from a musculoskeletal perspective. uh, Stress and bone loss or osteoporosis, did you know? that bone loss is not just a calcium issue, it's an inflammatory issue that is precipitated by stress. So let's look at this. In times of high stress, the body will break down amino acids to form glucose through the process of gluconeogenesis. Cortisol is the major stress hormone that catalyzes this process. Collagen is one of the target areas for spare amino acids. Chronically elevated stress levels increases collagen breakdown, not just in the bones, but in the joints and uh, throughout the body in all the tissues. <clears throat> cortisol primarily acts on the outer layer of the bone called the periosteum, and research has shown that elevated cortisol inhibits osteoblast formation and cell proliferation, and this, in turn, dramatically decreases bone building and lowers bone density. So not a lot of people think about that connection, but people that are under you know, a lot of stress for a long period of time, it accelerates that process of a bone breakdown, okay? Uh, so that's kind of a really brief overview of all the different manifestations and disease processes and maladies that we could look at. I mean, literally we could do an entire hour on just uh, all the different diseases and maladies that are associated, with stress. But that was just a really kind of brief panoramic view of uh, of what stress does to the body. So now what we're going to do in the subsequent sessions is we're going to look at the four major stress patterns. So we'll look at stressed and coping, which is the first pattern. The second pattern is stressed and wired. The third pattern is stressed and tired. And the fourth pattern and the final one is burned out and inflamed. So that's it for this session. Tune in for the next one where we will talk about stress and coping, and we'll go right down the list here uh, with all the subsequent sessions. We'll talk about uh, some of the the ways to cope with stress, not only from a nutritional standpoint, but we'll talk about some other uh, methods as well. So join me on the next session, and I'll see you there.